the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. 20 The Answer. Appreciate you being with us on a Tuesday, the 26th morning of the second month of the year of our Lord, 2019. What is this bill? This bill would make clear that in the United States of America in the year 2019, the medical professionals on hand when a baby is born alive need to maintain their basic ethical and professional responsibilities to that newborn. It should be very, very simple. We're not talking about abortion. We're not talking about women's rights. We're not talking about reproduction. We are talking about there's a live baby sitting over there that was just delivered, provided medical care like you would any live baby. And that is what the Democrats voted down last night. An absolute statement. We are the party of death. Joining us now is our friend Peter Kirsnow. Peter is a Cleveland attorney. He is a member of the United States Commission on Civil Rights. He is the host of the Kirsnow Report. You hear commentary uh, every day and every week right here on AM 1420. The answer, he's a celebrated author. And most importantly, he is uh, my regular Tuesday guest on AM 1420. The answer. Hey, Pete, how are you? Uh, doing well, Bob, and that is the most important thing. I have more uh, fun, and I think we're more effective on your show than anything else that I do. Uh, but uh, only... 30 days, despite the snow, to opening day. You notice that I've left out the countdown to the World Series because I have to admit <laughs> that I'm somewhat skeptical of our ability to get there this year. A couple of years ago, especially after we inquired Incarnacion, subsequent to the uh, uh, you know <laughs> extra inning seventh game of the World Series, I thought, we're going back. But, I, I you know, look, we got a very good team, best pitching in baseball still uh, with the current roster. But um, I'm going to take a wait-and-see attitude for a while. I forgot to introduce Peter also as our uh, official human sports calendar. Uh, he is our uh, he is our countdown <laughs> expert as well. Pete, thank you, my friend. Um, all right, Pete, a lot of ground to cover. As you and I kind of discussed off the air a little bit, I want to talk about this. I want to talk about hate crimes. I want to talk about, by the way, there's another, I'll, I'll, pull, I'll hold off on that because there's another example, by the way, of another hoax hate crime, and I want to get into your uh, thoughts on all of those things, uh, Pete. But, but your reaction to this vote last night um, on the floor of the United States Senate, we couldn't even muster enough votes to say, you know what? Let's step. Let's put the abortion issue aside for a moment. Whether or not it's a life, or it's a if it's a baby or a fetus inside the womb, whether it's life beginning at conception or at birth, and that that fight is going to go on forever. But this this let's let's get past that and say, okay, the baby's been born now, or the fetus trans transfers from fetus status in the mind of the left. Fetus status in the, the uterus, it has passed through the magical birth canal, and now it has baby status, all right? Now we can at least all agree that once it's a baby, it deserves the opportunity to live, and medical care should be provided, right? And the Democrats said no to that, Peter Kirsten. I I think President Trump is 100% right. When he said this is going to go down, his tweet was, this will be remembered as one of the most shocking votes in the history of Congress. If there is one thing we should all agree on, it's protecting the lives of innocent babies. Our president is right. He is right. And, you know, you, there's really no way that you can overstate the significance of this. 
you have to step back and really understand what happened. And uh, I'm sure I didn't have a chance to listen to your program this morning because I've been, you know, doing legal work. But I'm sure that you have given it the um, consideration that it's due. Uh, this is truly extraordinary, and again, I, I'm, it's hard to overstate it, and I'm going to try to be as understated as possible, but there's so much to say about this. You could talk about this forever and ever and ever, but it's it's truly an amazing. You know, uh, there is among very, very smart and sophisticated people, uh, especially on the conservative side, too, where you're not supposed to equate certain things with uh, some of the most reprehensible uh, events in human history. And it's also one of the things that uh, we're always cautioned not to do is to compare anything to the Dred Scott case that um, where Justice Taney, uh, probably the, the worst decision in the history of the Supreme Court, stated that, uh, you know, blacks have no rights that a white man or the, as he put it, the Negro has no rights that the white man is honored to uh, is is required to honor, and um, we have here a a kind of subset to the Dred Scott thinking. It's truly horrific to think that someone could vote to deny ordinary sustenance and care to a human being. This is a human being. I heard, uh, I think it was Sherrod Brown when I was driving home last night on the radio, or someone speaking on, on behalf of Democrats or describing his position or some other Democrats' position. I don't want to besmirch anyone, but he did vote uh, against this bill. Yes, he but, did. But um, they were describing the infant as a fetus. And one of the things I'd like to ask these people is, when is a baby no longer a fetus? This is truly extraordinary. When you're, when you're five years old, are you still a fetus? What is, in other words, the limiting principle? When I'm teaching my law school class, I always like to talk about limiting, limiting principles to any concept, case, or statute. In other words, how far does this go? And there really isn't a limiting principle to this because you have a live, breathing, independent human being here. It's not a fetus. It is separate from the mother, has nothing whatsoever to do with, as the Democrats put it, reproductive health care. That's done. You have another independent body here. And, you know, there's so many things you could say, Bob. I, you, we could talk about this for weeks and not even scratch the surface, and that's not an exaggeration. Um, at least in terms of the conceptual framework, how do Democrats, for example, square this with their uh, support for birthright citizenship? For example, in the 14th Amendment, Section 1, and again, I'm going to say this off the top of my head so any of your listeners out there who know this or ha are reading along with it, I may miss it a little bit, but I try to, as a member of the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights, understand the 14th Amendment. But Section 1 says all persons born, all persons born or naturalized in the United States and subject to the jurisdiction thereof are citizens of the United States. And then it goes on to say in the next clause, no state shall deny any person or deprive any person of life, liberty, property, etc. without due process. You have a person. This is a person, undeniably so. I'd like to get Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez to explain why it isn't. That would be a, a laugh riot, of course, but we're talking serious business here. So we have an independent person who's born alive and is subject to the jurisdiction, is a citizen subject to the jurisdiction, and cannot be deprived of life, 
liberty or property. Now, what Democrats would probably say in completely contorting the law is no one's depriving them of life, but absolutely you are. You're not providing health care to that person. You know that person cannot uh, survive on its own. It's an infant. If you had any other circumstance where you had an infant where you intentionally denied sustenance and care to that person, that would be at bare minimum negligent homicide. You'd be depriving that person of life, liberty, without due process. Now, in this That's something that, Peter, let me interrupt for a second, cause, because I was talking about that a little bit earlier on before you came on. Um, and let's, let's use an example here. If a drug addict overdosing is dropped off at an emergency room and is lying there in need of medical care, um, if a doctor looks at that and says, he did it to himself, and walks away and goes to help to take care of somebody else, and that uh, that overdose uh, overdosing uh, uh, patient slash addict dies. That doctor would would probably go to prison. Yes, I I think negligent negligent right. homicide. I, I think whatever it might be, I don't know if it's negligent homicide, uh, who knows what's... Well, refusing to provide medical care for somebody in need. I mean, obviously right. it's a violation of the Hippocratic Oath, but, but it's also, right. if you if you know somebody is in, in, in a life-threatening situation and you're a medical professional who can provide life-saving care to that person and you intentionally decide to not help them, um, that, that is illegal, right? Yeah, it sure is. And, you know, uh, the, the fact of the matter is that, you know... I, Understand, your audience should understand, when I make this constitutional comparison, with respect to this issue, it's not a constitutional denial. The passage of the legislation isn't necessarily an unconstitutional act. I'm simply saying that conceptually, how do you square the position they're taking with birthright citizenship and the equal protection provisions of the 14th Amendment? The the theoretical framework falls apart at that point. Um, But let's decide... Set aside the Constitution, and let's just think about in terms of humanity. How does someone take such an abhorrent act that you would, on the floor of the Congress of the United States, decide not to provide health care, just ordinary health care to the most vulnerable among us? We have fallen considerably in the United States of America when we've gotten to this pass. This is the, I don't know what to say about it anymore. I wish I, I could be a little bit more uh, eloquent about this. This is something that was the natural progression of what we've seen progressives do. And it's been, frankly, the progressive position, the, the true progressive position from, well, you name it, uh, at least since Woodrow Wilson. I mean, the... the Intellectual heirs to the progressives actually go back to the 1850s and 1860s, but it is the natural progression. And again, what's the limiting principle at this point? If a parent decides that their child is a burden to them at some point, um, what is the age cutoff beyond which you can no longer decide not to provide ordinary sustenance care, right. ordinary medical care, food. I, I don't know. Someone needs to ask that question. Uh, but apparently, if it, I think Barack Obama did. When he was in the Illinois state legislature, he was the person who thwarted the state version of the Born Alive Infant Protection Act. And he defended his decision using the same kind of rationale that we're hearing with respect to this this. 
uh, piece of legislation. And what he said, and again, I may be off a little bit, but what he said was this would, quote, burden the initial decision of the mother. In other words, the initial decision was get rid of the kid. Yeah, kill the baby. I want that child dead. Whether it's before you get him out of me or after, I want that child to die. Yeah, and that's the consequence. It would burden the initial decision. So once you make the decision, according to Barack Obama, and by extension the Democrats now, once the mother makes the initial decision to have an abortion, no one at that point can ever interfere with the prospect of having a dead child. That must be the necessary That must be the outcome no matter what, even if the child is born alive, even if the child uh, has a say in this. The child says, you know what, you stabbed at me, you tried to pull me apart piece by piece with your your instruments, you tried to inject me with saline, and you tried to deliver me stillborn, but I fought through it and I was delivered alive. I win. You tried to kill me but can't and couldn't. I win. Now the law is saying and the Democrats are saying, oh yeah, watch me. Watch me. We're going to make sure you're dead. All right, 1027, i got a short segment here for Peter Kersenow, and then we're going to come back after the bottom of the hour break and talk a little bit more to him about this. But, Pete, you and I spoke a little bit last week about Jussie Smollett and hate crimes and the uh, fake hate crime, of course, that it turned out to be. Two things. One, the idea or the... Um, increase in hoax hate crimes as people embrace in this country, particularly um, progressives, because they know they are the party of identity politics. The new identity, the new hip thing to be is a victim. Victim culture is real. And so there are more hoax hate crimes happening. And literally, we got another one just um, uh, uh, hit the news cycle last night. An LBGT activist burned down his own house and tried to make it look like with his pets inside. And tried to make it look like a hate crime. Uh, Michigan Michigan prosecutors say that this LB, LGBT activist, her home, I'm sorry, I said his, her home, killed her pets to try to make it look as though this was a, an anti-homophobic um, hate crime. So this is going on all over the place. And then the issue of real hate crimes, Peter Kersenow, we're told that in the age of Trump, they're on the rise. And that's why people were so easy to believe or quick to believe Jussie Smollett, because it's happening everywhere. Yeah, um, first of all, I want to make this unequivocally clear for all of your listeners, because mm-hmm. I happen to be on the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights. We happen to look at this data. I look at it almost on a daily basis. We had a full-blown hearing on this less than a year ago on hate crimes, which hearing, by the way, because the Civil Rights Commission is dominated by liberals, was uh, instituted because of the alleged avalanche of hate crimes after Trump's inauguration, except that numbers are peculiar things. Um, first of all, the news with respect to the Southern Poverty Law Center, I'm always skeptical whenever I see anything coming from them, because yeah. typically, you know, what they will do is they'll designate some organization a hate crime. And if you are, for example, pro-life, if you're a traditional, I believe in traditional marriage, uh, uh, strong borders, uh, just really a conservative group of any kind, you're going to be susceptible to being designated as a hate organization, such as the Family Research Council. But what they did, what the Southern Poverty Law Center did just in the last couple of days, is release a report, which, of course, the media picks up on immediately because it's the age of Trump, and we all know that there are racists all over the place because of Trump, even if such racists come from Nigeria and happen to beat up Jesse Smollett. Um, But nonetheless, uh, they try to say there's a proliferation of hate organizations. Here's And let me just break it down very quickly because I know you're going to go to a break in a moment. But yeah. for your listeners, when it comes just to the, the 
claim that hate organizations, regardless of hate crimes, hate organizations are proliferating. Here's what you need to keep in mind. There does seem to be an increase in hate organizations. However, the data show that's because some of the larger hate organizations, and when I say large, we're usually talking about an organization, even when it's nationwide, that may have about 20 to 30 adherents. But what's happening is those organizations are splintering because some of their members become disaffected and start their own organization. And those organizations consist of maybe just that person who has an email account or a Twitter account or two or three people. Some of these guys are in the basement of their parents' home. And these are usually troubled individuals. And by say trouble, it doesn't mean you don't keep an eye on somebody like that, but usually there's somebody who are never, ever, ever going to cause anybody any trouble. In fact, they can't even cause themselves any trouble. But here's, let me give you this, this, this stat. Even if you look at the data that we have at the Civil Rights Commission, and I think it was extrapolated on in the Southern Poverty Law Center um, piece, Pete, let me let me let me jump in now because you've got this data, and we're, rather than separating the data by the news, let's have it all on the other side. Let's get those numbers sure on thing. the other side. It's ten thirty one. We'll do that now. We'll listen to the newscast. We'll come back, and then Pete can lay that data on us as we continue on AM fourteen twenty. The radio. Attention, social justice warriors! If you're looking for a safe space where your delicate ears won't be offended, this isn't it. This is the Bob France Authority on AM fourteen twenty. The answer. All right, we do continue now at 1034. If you're on hold waiting to talk to me, I'm going to beg your indulgence with uh, one more segment with Peter Kersen now because he's got some very important information. If you did not catch what uh, Peter and I were talking about right before the break, the Southern Poverty Law Center, which is, uh, and we've done segments on the Southern Poverty Law Center before as well. This is just an absolutely reprehensible left-wing organization that chooses to demonize anything and everything that is remotely conservative. I mean, they take the Family Research Council, for crying out loud, which is just a Christian organization that supports biblical principles and decides they're a hate group. They're a hate group because they don't endorse uh, gay marriage. So that makes them a hate group, according to the SPLC. Their definition of hate group is very, very different than I think that of almost every mainstream American. But they get all of the attention in the world from the mainstream press. And the press says the SPLC has said uh, hate groups are on the rise. And Peter now is talking to us about those groups. And you had some stats, Pete, before the break that you were just about to launch into. So let's pick it up right there. Yeah, I do. And again, to repeat for your listeners, if you hear claims that hate crimes are increasing or the number of hate organizations are increasing, remember one thing unequivocally, those reports are made either out of ignorance, mendacity, stupidity, or maybe a combination thereof. Here are the stats. SPLC says there is approximately a 30% increase in hate groups over the last or during the Trump presidency. A 30% increase. Here's how you get to those numbers. As I indicated at the outset, it's because, and they, they kind of, if you read between the lines, they, they kind of say this, that various hate groups that existed a couple of years ago have splintered off. And even those hate groups may just consist of just a couple of guys in, in their parents' basement. But they've splintered off because they want to form their own hate group or they are dissatisfied or disenchanted with their current hate group, so-called hate group. And again, also understand that that definition of hate group when it comes to the SPLC is quite broad, as you just indicated. But here's an example. They even admit in their own data that the number of Klan organizations in the United States in just 
the last two years, during the era of Trump, fell from 130 to 51. 130 to 51. Now, what happens there is you get a number of these groups, as I said, that splinter off, but the aggregate number of so-called hate adherence or hate organization adherence has fallen precipitously. Let me just give you a, a kind of framework so your listeners can understand how ridiculous this obsession with hate groups. Now, now look, I, I don't think that we ignore hate groups at all or hate crimes at all. You don't ignore them. But what's being done is it's being inflated for political purposes. And because CNN, NBC, CBS, New York Times keep repeating these lies, and I believe they understand and know full well their lies, but they forward a political objective. They keep repeating it, so I think it, the public consciousness seems to accept these things. But understand when you are engaged in a conversation with one of your uh, progressive friends, here's the data for you. Just in the 1920s, there were 4 million Klansmen, and maybe more, but we know that there were 4 million Klansmen in the 1920s and that was in a nation of 115 million people. We now have three times as many people. And you know how many Klansmen are roaming throughout the land causing havoc? 5,000. And that is probably an inflated estimate. So we went from 4 million to 5,000 in a nation that's three times bigger. And the press is obsessed with this. Let me give you another stat in terms of a set. I don't mean to demean any kind of crime, including a hate crime. But again, to put things into perspective, there were in the United States of America in 2017, a total of 1,231,566, 1,231,566 murders, rapes, aggravated assaults, and robberies. Okay? All right. 800... 21, 821 or point zero 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 six seven were classified as hate crimes. And I'll get into that. Even that 821 sounds like, uh, even that sounds very, very tiny compared to the total number. But I'll explain something about that in a moment, too, that really puts into perspective. 821 in any given year, in just a six-month period, 550 people in the United States are hit by lightning strikes. So if you do the math on it, you're more likely to be hit by lightning than to be the victim of a hate crime. Wow. Even if you were to accept that a hate crime truly falls within the definition of a hate crime. But here are some of the problems with, with that. Number one. But Pete, Pete, before you go on, if if you are a member of one of the oppressed groups in America, the uh, the groups that the Democrats seize upon for identity politics, if you're gay, if you're black, if you're Latino, if you're female, if you're disabled, or if you're whatever, one of the Muslim, uh, do, do those stats go up? Do the percentages go up of your vict- your chances of being victimized as a crime? The one group that forever has had a disproportionate number of hate crimes victims are Jews. Without question, there has been a spike in hate crimes against Jews relative to other types of hate crimes. 
when I was in the Civil Rights Commission initially, back in 2001, right after 9-11, what was peculiar about that is everybody was telling us we have to guard against the backlash, a guard against the backlash against Muslims. But what we saw, strangely, was an increase in hate crimes against Jews. I say strangely, it's something that is persistent throughout the years. But in terms of any kind of a spike or anything else with respect to almost any other group, it's just not there. But also, keep in mind a couple of things. When, we, when I say there are 821 hate crimes that fit the violent crime definition, mm-hmm. take that with a grain of salt, too, for a couple of reasons. Number one, these are reported, not confirmed hate crimes. Whenever you hear hate crimes data, keep in mind the following point. These are reports, and many of them are reports based on the perception of the victim. All right? I'm not going to say that the victim is wrong about that, but, for example, if somebody, if a robber was going to rob you anyway, but in the process also uses a, a slur of some sort, then that would be defined as a hate crime, okay? There's also dual motive crimes, where there may be two motives to a particular crime. So that 821, as small as that is relative to the total number of violent crimes in any given year, even that must be looked at with a grain of salt. So when you hear, for example, I saw just in the, the day of the charges being filed against Jesse Smollett for allegedly filing a fake hoax crime, CNN immediately pivoted from being all over this horrific crime against Jesse Smollett that showed that MAGA-hatted wearing individuals are running rampant throughout the, the land. And they said, and here's the quote, I wrote this down. Their new headline was, quote, hate crimes rising regardless of Jesse Smollett. In other words, never mind, never mind that hoax we told, told you yep. about. Just like never mind Covington, never mind Kavanaugh, never mind any of this stuff. We just go from drive-by to drive-by to drive-by. Now we're going to hit you with another falsehood. Hate crimes rising, regardless of Jesse Smollett. And almost every outlet, I did a quick Google search. It's amazing what you can find. Every media organization picks up on that theme. They talk about an increase in hate crimes that occurred in, quote, Trump's America, quote, amid Trump's first year, quote, since Trump took office. Everything was about Trump, Trump, Trump. And in fact, as I indicated, the 2018 hearing the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights had on hate crimes was initiated because of the alleged avalanche of hate crimes after Trump's inauguration. And all of this is false. Let me give you another stat. For your listeners, when you want to engage in a, in a conversation with your progressive friends, the so-called increase in hate crimes they talk about in 2017, there were a total of 7,615 total hate crimes. Now, that's of any, sometimes a hate crime isn't, I, I talked about murders, robberies, and things like that, violent hate crimes and, and, and property damage. Very often, when you see the total number of hate crimes, 7,615, that is, to a large extent, a function of things like vandalism and graffiti. Uh, we see a lot of that with hoaxes, by the way. Too. Which uh, I was just about to say. I was just about to say that, Pete. The whole number of hoax hate, hate crimes on that very... We, we have seen time and time and time again examples of that. And I'll give you one that not a lot of people talk about, but a couple of years ago, when LeBron James was still playing for the Cavaliers, it was alleged that somebody spray-painted the N-word on the fence outside of his Los Angeles home. Oh, my gosh. People are targeting even, even LeBron James, who is you know so uh, likable by blacks and whites and everything else, but this terrible hate crime. Not, not one photo 
Not one police photo has been leaked or, or has been uh, circulated. No evidence whatsoever that it ever even happened. Oh, well, we uh, repainted it and cleaned it up before the police could get there. Well, then how do we know it was even a hate crime? How do we know it even happened? This kind of stuff is got done just to do what you said, Peter. That is demonize the Trump supporters. This only is happening in America in 2018 or 2019 now because of Donald Trump's presence inspiring and, and, um, Encouraging his supporters to to dislike and demonize or and to dislike and to uh, uh, to try to harm, whether through vandalism or violence, people of color or people of different uh, uh, demographics that they don't like. That's what's going on. Yeah, that's exactly right. They're demonizing conservatives, but especially in the era of Trump with Trump supporters. Uh, but of that seven thousand six hundred fifteen total hate, hate crimes in two thousand seventeen, and they say there was an increase. Well, this wasn't during the Trump era. This was in 2006, 13 years ago. There were 9,652 hate crimes, 2,000 more, despite the fact that more agencies are, more than 1,000 more agencies are reporting formally hate crimes to the FBI than there were back then, despite the fact that there are 25 million more people now than there were back then. There are more hate crimes. So when they talk about this spike in hate crimes, yeah, there was an increase from 2016 to 2017. But one of our witnesses before the Civil Rights Commission made the point that that's because 1,000 more agencies began reporting hate crimes in that year for the first time. That's where any alleged increase came from. There's no great increase in hate crimes across the land. And again, put it in perspective, as I indicated, with those four major forms of hate crimes, 821 occurred, and you're more likely to get hit by lightning. Simply remarkable. And that is so important about the fact that different agencies are now counting, tallying, and reporting these things. So the idea that more of them are being committed, which is what the left wants you to believe, rather than just more of them are being tracked and counted. And again, it doesn't, we, you know, we haven't even begun to scratch the surface of the number of hoaxes. Pete, the Daily Caller ran a great list down last week after the Justice Smollett thing started to come into clearer focus of the number of hoax hate crimes. And as I said to you uh, a segment ago, um, it's still going on, not just with blacks or, or people of color, but people of um, uh, different sexual orientations, religions, and so on and so forth. And and the other thing, too, <clears throat> excuse me, that um, people aren't talking about when, when it comes to some of the numbers that you pointed out, that the demographic that has faced the biggest number of hate crimes in the increase, if you will, or the new tallies, if you want to, you know, if we're trying to be accurate, are not African Americans, they're not Muslims, they're Jews. Jews are being victimized more often uh, because of, uh, you know, uh, anti-Semitism than anybody else is. And, and you know, I don't think anybody, well, ignorant people might consider Trump and Trump supporters anti-Semitic because President Trump has been the greatest friend to Israel uh, that we have seen in a very, very long time. Uh, but, but Jews are actually, uh, you know, one of the biggest uh, victim groups in all of this, and nobody talks about that. Absolutely. Two more data points for your listeners. Number one. 90% or nearly 89% of police departments in 2017 reported zero hate crimes in their jurisdictions. And keep this in mind, we have more ordinances and statutes prohibiting hate crimes now than we did just a few years ago. Number two is that you've got, you know, if, if Trump's quote-unquote divisive rhetoric is spurring an increase in hate crimes, it's having a counterintuitive effect. Everyone presumes that all these MAGA hat-wearing, you know, rednecks are running around committing hate crimes. Well, hate crimes are committed by blacks. Are, uh, more blacks are 200%, not 10%, not 20%, but 
more likely to commit hate crimes than whites. So that goes against the MAGA hat-wearing narrative that the press is trying to foist upon us. One more point, Bob. I want to repeat this again and again and again because we have the data. It's, It's astonishing to me when I sit there and I listen to CNN or any other organization or read a headline. And when they talk about an increase in hate crime or a spike in hate crimes due to Trump, remember this, that they're doing so either out of ignorance, which is quite possible, mendacity or sheer stupidity. And I'm starting to think, I mean, I try to give a charitable interpretation whenever I can when people do things, (laughs) but I'm beginning to think, Bob, that mendacity is the principal reason. You cannot avoid what the true numbers are. They're out there, and yet they repeat these assertions again and again and again. I've always uh, asked this question of... um our elected officials, or people about our elected officials, which is worse, uh, that they're stupid, they don't know what they're doing, and yet they're in a position of authority, or they're dishonest. They, they, they know what they're doing, and what they're doing is intentional. And that is the, the, the you know, I think that's probably the, the, the um, direction you're going here when you talk about mendacity. I, I agree with you. I think they are just liars more than they are, um, uh, you know, misunderstanding or not, not able to grasp the situations through stupidity or stupidity or ignorance. Yeah, and Bob, also, there's a real damage being done to the fabric of the nation. Another data point. In 2001, 70% of blacks, more blacks than whites, thought race relations in the United States were good or very good. Today, after eight years of Obama, began, this, this started to drop in the middle of Obama's term. We're now at 49%. Consider how did that occur when, among other things, for example, black income has reached the highest levels in history. Black unemployment is at the lowest levels in history. The barriers to any kind of opportunity are at the lowest point in history. There's so many other data points that show that the prospects of blacks have never been better in this country. But what we have here is a systematic attempt to show, to, I'm sorry, to sow division in this country for political gain. And I think that there's an obsession by progressives with identity politics because if you listen to some of their policies, they have evolved into outright I mean, they're incomprehensible. The Green New Deal, open borders, the duty to die, reparations, Medicare for all, all these things, they can't pass muster. So they try to cobble together a majority coalition by pitting one group against another group. Americans shouldn't allow that to happen. It's one of the major reasons I've stayed on the Civil Rights Commission, because this is serious business. We're no longer going to have a unified United States of America if we allow the left, and by that I mainly mean the media organs continue to repeat falsehoods elide the truth for political gain that is uh very well said in summary peter kersenow and i really appreciate uh, you staying over time with us today great information great statistical analysis and i'm going to encourage everybody if you just tuned in toward the end of this um, go back and listen to the podcast. Relisten Peter has had just tons of factual information that you can indeed take into discussions uh, online or in person with progressive-minded friends who are going to continue to try to spew uh, untruths um, uh, in uh, in support of their their indefensible positions. Peter, thank you, my friend. God bless. Take care, Bob. You got it. Ten fifty-two. Now let's get news, or excuse me, traffic rather, right here on AM fourteen twenty. The answer. Um... 
All right, 1056, final segment is obviously a short one to wrap this up before Mike Gallagher. Let's squeeze in a few phone calls. Try to be brief if you could, please, because we have a lot of people to get to here in the end. Uh, Donnie in Euclid. Go ahead, Donnie. Good morning, Bob. I just wanted to let you know that interview that you had was the textbook definition of what socialism, death culture, and, and et cetera, all about all of these people that are, that are for that for those things, you might as well be talking to a fence post. Yeah, I think you're right, except fence posts can be more flexible than uh, than than progressives can. Amy and Hudson next. Amy, go ahead. Oh, good morning. Thank you so much. Um, I thank you for informing us and having Peter Kirsten, our own, but he did uh, steal my thunder and the wind from my sails. I wanted to talk about President Obama while he was a senator in Illinois. Um, introducing a bill to um, allow aborted babies to die if they were not dead at, after the procedure. However, do you think I could I- introduce another thought? I have an enigma I don't understand. Uh, just, a real short, just a real short yes. thought, though, because we're up against it the is. clock here. Go ahead. Very good. Okay. I cannot understand why teachers' unions do not um, fund pro-life causes. They are for abortion. Because if every woman had an abortion, these teachers would be out of a job. Same thing with pediatricians. That's, that's, a, that's a very interesting point, Amy. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Uh, let's go to Barbara in Cleveland Heights. Hi, Barbara. Go ahead. Hey, terrific show. Unplanned, rated R, fascinating. I want to say, you know, Michael Savage gave a uh, nickname to Cortez as Occasional Cortex. And I think that is a fitting uh, nickname. But, yeah, um, that, that's a, that's a meme online. That that one is circulated all over online on social media for those who recognize okay. her, and that's a very uh, good one. Yes, indeed. I didn't know that. Okay, and also Oregon, I, I believe, has euthanasia. I'm I'm not sure if it's passed, but I think it's already in the in the running there. I think it is, too, uh, and that's something a previous caller brought up, too, Barbara, and I don't have time to get into the depth of that right now, but I think you're right. That is next on the agenda. Jan in Brexville, last call. Go ahead, Jan. Bob, I wanted your listeners aware of the pro-abortion nun, Sister Simone Campbell, coming to uh, St. Basil's Catholic Church in Brexville. To when is she coming? Uh, she's coming on March 19th, and it's part of their Social Concerns Commission. The words that fall out of her lips, uh, like, I don't think it's a good thing to outlaw abortion, are just... I've, I've heard of her, Jan, and I'll tell you what, I'm going to ask you to call me back on another day before she comes to town so that we can get that word out, because I think people should be aware of her. They're, that's very a very good point. All right, that's all the time we've got. Mike Gallagher is next. Have a Enjoy great Enjoy the silence. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.